Wow. What a couple of weeks it's been. And I'd say it's safe to say at this point that the local, the Whatcom County, and really quite a ways beyond Whatcom County, dairy farming community dodged a bullet with as bad as this whole flood situation was, the flood itself, the water, uh, what that meant for protecting animals and you know, farms having to dump milk and all these bad things happened, uh, difficulties for workers and farmers and uh, houses, uh, barns, everything underwater, all of that. The thing that we, and we talked about this last week as well, the thing that was going to be the ongoing scary unknown was whether there would be enough feed for cows uh, because of, well, a few different things that went on as a result of that flood. It was going to be the, the gift that kept on giving, or I guess the opposite of giving. It's amazing how quickly this has turned around, and thankfully I have relatively good news to report as far as the direction this is going. Things seem to be coming back online. Granted, this is going to take, I'm sure, quite a while t- for the, the dairy community and the folks uh, at the feed outfits to, to get everything kind of back to normal. I'm sure as we see, you know, supply chain stuff all the time these days with everything that's been going on in our crazy world. Welcome back, by the way, Dylan Honkoop here on The Farming Show on KGMI. But joining me right now is kind of, you know, a, a group of folks that in some ways are unsung heroes in all of this as well. We've heard a lot about that feed plant up in Sumas, the EPL plant that, you know, by some miracle uh, is back, was back online by what, Tuesday, Wednesday of this week when there had been talk initially that it could be weeks or more before they were able to start producing feed for cattle again. And that's when the, the call went out that we could have a looming feed crisis. But at that same time, there's another feed plant uh, that supplies the local area and far beyond here in, in Whatcom County as well in Ferndale, the Cargill plant there. And their sales manager for the Pacific Northwest region uh, with Cargill, Roger Eitzen, joins us on the farming show this morning. Roger, when you started to hear that, my word, you know, floodwaters were inundating, well, your competitor's plant, you know, up in Sumas, suddenly that had a big impact on you guys. And from what I'm hearing from behind the scenes, you guys had to jump into action. What, what were you doing in the, those moments, those hours as this was unfolding? Well, yeah, good morning, Dylan. It's, uh, it was kind of crazy. We heard the forecast coming and we knew there was going to be a crisis. Um, if you, if you're old, like me, you've seen floods in Whatcom County a few times. Yeah. Uh, it's never been quite this bad. We knew that our mill was fairly well protected. We did lose a receiving pit mm. um, for a few days. Yeah, you're pretty the close question, to the river there, basically on the edge of downtown Ferndale. Yeah, actually, the railroad that, that we receive product on is the berm for downtown. Mm. So on one side of the railroad is water, and the other side is us. So wow. that that gets really tense for a little while. Mm-hmm. but. It was a lot worse for many more people than us. Uh, so we knew we were going to get called on, and, and we did. There's two main feed manufacturers in the county, and when one goes down, the other has to jump into uh, high gear, which is which is unusual for us, right? We compete day in, day out. Right, yeah. Uh, we're fierce competitors, but we're not enemies. Yeah. And we compete day in, day out. And then when something like this happens, you just jump in and you do everything you can. It, it, it sounds like it ch- totally changes the calculus. You probably had to start figuring out, okay, well, there's 
people that rely on this other plant, how can we get them feed when maybe you hadn't been working with them and what are their needs and what are their mixes and all that kind of stuff. That's a lot to figure out even just beyond how do we get the stuff in the first place and how do we have the capacity to do it? Right, right. We, we right away got on the phone with our friends over at APL and we said, look, let's make some very basic mixes that will keep cows going and we'll worry about the fine tuning later. And we just concentrated on four mixes. They, they agreed a hundred percent with that. And uh, we just went into motion as making as much feed as we possibly could. And every day, Dylan, we made enough feed until we ran out of ingredients. Oh, wow. And then we had to shut down for the night. Um, at the beginning, our truck drivers were running out of hours. We used an outside contractor, Skagit Transportation. They did a fantastic job, too, helping mm. all of us out. And then um, some state officials, some local officials, state officials got involved, and they gave us an emergency um grant for dot hours so that we could deliver feed um a little bit past our dot hours we have that for a few days uh, and that was really appreciated the governor signed that and it was put into place by by local emergency service people roger eitzen is with us right now on the farming show he is the uh, sales manager with cargill for the pacific northwest region based in ferndale at their plant there which suddenly uh, had to spring into action when their crosstown competitor went down the EPL plant up in Sumas. Of course, we all know about the devastation in Sumas, and it certainly didn't spare that plant there. Is that that processing facility was under? I've heard three, four. I've even heard in spots six feet of water. Um, and Roger, you know better than anybody else just what kind of havoc that amount of water can reek on a plant like that with sophisticated, I mean, the way plants like theirs and yours work, it's sophisticated electronics that control all these to make sure that the feed is being made correctly, right? Yeah, I don't think people really understand that unless they're in the business. Everything is computer, you know, done by computer so that the computer tells you what to mix and then it tells you what you did mix. And then everything is, you know, checks and balances and, and all that. So when that goes down, it's, it's a crisis, but first of all, you have to worry about getting all your electronics, your motors, everything back up and going, and I know EPL has had a, a mess doing that, although mm -hmm. they've done a fantastic job. I didn't think they would be up and going as quick as they were. Yeah, but it was then amazing the second, to see. Oh, man, th those guys, yeah, and, and all the people that helped them up there in CMS, you know, those are, those are rock stars up there. But then the second problem is getting product in because yeah. the, the rail line was washed out. So we all receive product from the Midwest all day long. That's what we feed these local cows with. And then getting those rail lines back up and serviceable, that was, you know, number two big question to be taken care of. Well, like you said, you were running out of that raw material to, to mix up and turn into the right rations for the cows. Yeah, we would just mix as much as we had on hand, as much as we could get our hands on. And uh, getting trucks from any place that had them. We had rail service starting up uh, this last Monday, and I think EPL got going. I think believe it was Tuesday or Wednesday on the rail service. So that starts so, to and, take a and lot of pressure. Initially, on. initially, you guys were cut off as far as rail too. I had heard something about you know, there weren't uh, uh, trains of feed going north of Everett for one, you know, for a time there. Yeah, I think there was some mudslides down south, and then when they have big weather events like this, they have to inspect all the track to make sure that it can carry the weight and the equipment that they put on it. So that had to be done. 
It's crazy. All of the things that we take for granted in our supply chain all the time. Um, and again, like I mentioned earlier, with the crazy times that we've been living in with a pandemic and the you know supply chain issues that have resulted from that and a bunch of other things going on have kind of brought that in, in out into the light. But this kind of a situation, you know, the dominoes fall really fast. Um, and it's amazing how much, you know, too much rain and a river that's too full uh, can cause all of these cascading problems. Again, uh, this is the Farming Show on KGMI. I'm Dylan Honkoop. We're talking with Roger Eitzen with Cargill based in Ferndale. What were you hearing from farmers at that point? I, I From the things I heard, you know, there were some people feeling pretty frantic. Yeah, Dylan, you know, you, you, you hear just horror stories and then you hear fantastic stories. I talked to a dairyman. He said, I'm asking people to come care for my cows that don't have a home to go home to. Mm. Mm. That, that pretty much sums up the, what you're dealing with. You know, there's the, the human side is so much more important. Yeah. And then you're trying to care for animals uh, on top of that. And all this is being done with, you know, who is not sick with COVID and who can get to work and who can get trucks to wear. And it's a lot to juggle. Yeah. I think we need to all just keep all those people in Sumas ever sending them across the line in Canada in our prayers yeah. and, and just reach out. That's what makes this community so great. Just reach out yeah. and help when you can. Unfortunately, it's too early, but I, I soon want to get more information out of Canada. I know those folks had it sadly even a lot worse than we did here, particularly in the farming community up there in Abbotsford. It's been too early for me to bug them and see if I can get anyone to share stories or kind of what the situation is. Uh, but hopefully within a few weeks time, I'd like to be sharing that too. Uh, just because really, and even from a feed perspective, it's all kind of connected to a, one degree or not. There are plenty of, you know, there are mills up there, but I understand there is some feed product that comes down from Canada, some that goes up uh, from down here up to them. It's all kind of a connected system, right? Right. You know, when this happened, I started getting phone calls, really funny phone calls from really funny phone numbers mm. saying, you know, hey, I want to come in and get a pickup load of feed or I want to come in and get a truck load of feed. And when I asked where they were coming from, they said Canada. And mm. I said, I, I, I can't keep my cows fed here. I, I can't help. I just don't have it. And, uh, you know, gave them an A for effort, yeah. but just, you, you know, your heart goes out to them. Cause I think some of the Canadian manufacturers cut off bear, dairy and beef feed pretty quick. And we're well, they have a lot more resources. chickens to worry about up there. Yeah. Too, right? They were putting all their resources in poultry and swine. Yep. Which I would imagine, I don't know much about poultry and swine, but those, you know, those animals need more food uh, more quickly versus dairy animals, which can survive on things like, you know, the local forage crops that farmers would still have, even though there's been quite a bit of spoilage, as I hear from, from the flood. Um, but maybe that, that's a good uh, point for us to, to dig into here. Um, and you could explain this far better than I do, what kind of the, you know, the feed needs are. Because I think it's well known that a lot of the corn or basically all the corn and a lot of the grass that's grown around here is put up as silage or as hay and stored to feed dairy cattle. But that doesn't provide all, the, you know, a producing milking cow's needs, right? And, and that's where you guys come in. In, and you provide particularly things like protein and other key nutrients that they need to be at their peak of health. Right. That's what the, the Cargill consultants and the EPL consultants are doing. They're taking their local forage base, 
and they're looking at what they have and then what they need to fill in with to get maximum performance out of these out of these dairy cows. Um, and you, you're right. You can use a forage-based silage and hay to keep animals alive, and that's not an option with poultry and swine because they don't eat that forage-based. They need a 100% grain diet. Yeah, so, I mean, people could say, well, you could keep the, the cows going, but they aren't going to be certainly as healthy. They aren't going to really be able to produce there's lots of problems if they don't have the stuff that you guys provide, right? Right. And then when they drop in milk, they don't get that back for sometimes up to a year. They just mm. don't come right back as soon as you pour the feed back on. It, uh, that's a long process, if they do come back at all. And you think about uh, going through what you were saying, you know, the human pressure, just getting people there. I'm hearing the stories about, you know, farmers having to swim from the house to the barn to be able to milk and, and you know, as they yeah. swim or wade carrying a tote of dry clothes to change into once they get to the milk house so then they can go milk um, and, and the workers as well and people who've lost their homes and then the animals keeping them fed. So many things that went on and then on your guys's end keeping everything rolling um, as far as that goes, do you guys use some raw product from Canada typically? Because my understanding that's cut off and will be for the foreseeable future. Yeah, we do use some product right out of Canada, right across the line. And we're trying to source that from other places. Yeah. Um, we have an option, you know, like there's uh, Chilliwack or Spokane. So then we're having to go to Spokane, which is further away. And you got a mountain pass in between. And so you have some issues. But we're able to at least get the product. Yeah, and that, from what I understand, there's a lot of what canola meal that comes down from like Alberta and stuff. Yep, yep. Canola is a big product that we get out of Canada. We rely on that pretty heavy for a protein source. But again, you can go to other protein sources. They just become a little more expensive. Yeah, and it it takes you know three four weeks to turn the pipeline on because you have to order rail cars, and by the time you receive them, it's been a few weeks. Now, just to expose some of my ignorance about these feed products, that canola meal is that a byproduct from other uses of canola? Well, not really. It's it's uh, um it's refined. It's mm -hmm. it's pressed. It's squeezed. And they're taking the oil out, which is a very profitable product for them. We've right. all seen canola oil in the grocery store. Right. And then this is the byproduct of that. This okay. is the meal yeah. that's left, and it tends to be high in protein. Okay, that makes sense to me. And that's what I was figuring is that, yeah, they're growing the canola, they're getting the oil, and then they have stuff left, and it's really high in protein, and cows love it, and it makes them healthy. Yeah. What are the other yeah. options, though? I mean, if, if you don't have that, what, what other kinds of things can you feed? Well, you can feed some soybean meal. I think many people have heard from that, but we don't grow any soybeans around here. So that's yep. going to come from the Midwest, Iowa, uh, places like that. Um, we use some distiller's grains that tends to flow in and out of ports, mm. uh, like across the line in Vancouver or um, Seattle, uh, Olympia down to Portland, those port areas. So uh, that's uh, usually uh, a byproduct from... Uh, distilling alcohol so ethanol produces a lot of distillers right. grains yeah and we hear about that too as far as kind of a, a sustainable idea of again using something that may be waste to someone else but is a, a, re, a feed resource uh, to the farming community how long is it going to take to work out of this i'm sure you know this is again another supply chain situation 
Um, I'm sure things aren't back to normal yet. Is it going to take weeks, months for everything to kind of reach an equilibrium again? I think the crisis will be over in a matter of a few weeks and we'll be fine tuning and, and learning how to, you know, what the new normal is yeah. and, and where our resources are. It's amazing to me. Sometimes uh, you, you get very disappointed in uh, a program or a process or even the people you're working with. And then other times people rise up and, and just surprise you and they rise to the occasion yeah. and it works better than you ever thought it would. So you see both of those, Dylan. Yeah. Um, what about the folks up in Canada? Are you hearing any more from them? What happened to their mills? Will there be a point where we, you know, if they need extra help, where we will have enough to help them? Well, the last I heard, all their manufacturing plants are up and running. The mm. problem is they had over 100 breaks in the rail line. So that all has to be fixed, repaired, and in some places has to be replaced for product to be flowing into those into those facilities. I don't know if you could make up the traffic with trucks. Of course, the trucks, the, the roads are wiped out in many cases as well as the rail lines. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a, that's an interesting point. I mean, you guys are some of the last holdouts as far as people who receive significant amounts of freight by rail. You know, so much of our freight has moved to trucks, but the volume of stuff that you guys bring in and send out, you know, that, that amounts to a lot of trucks on the road. Um, right. How do you how do you do that just by truck? That's probably yeah, like you point out, it's going to be pretty tough. Yeah, you know, if you're used to getting in 10 rail cars, you got to get in at least 30 trucks. Mm. So you can imagine all that, and then you've got to deal with, uh, I mean, there's a there's a shortage of truck drivers out there, right? So you can't yeah. just call up um, your local truck store and order trucks and, and truck drivers, <laughs> yeah. right? This is yeah. specialized talent. Yeah. So it takes a while to ramp that stuff up, too. Well, thank you for what you guys did in the midst of a looming crisis. And I'm glad uh, that it sounds like the, the worst of the worst has passed. I hope things continue to go well and we work our way out of this um, sooner rather than later. Uh, Roger Eitzen, again, has been with us sharing what happened behind the scenes um, as you know, there became a huge pinch as a result of the, the flood, the historic flood that we had here in Whatcom County and Skagit County and up in BC uh, in the you know, last week um, on, on the world of feed and keeping cows fed. One last question before I let you go. How much of your feed does go to, to beef? You mentioned beef. We've been talking all about dairy. How, how much of that are you guys doing up here? You know, we don't do a whole lot of beef feed. Uh, I think we're about ninety-five percent dairy, yeah. and I would yeah. guess, I would guess the folks at EPL are roughly the same. There's just not a lot of beef operations up in this yeah. corner of the state. And I guess one other thing that we haven't mentioned is not just the farmers here locally that could have been affected because you guys provide feed up and down, you know, the West Coast, right? Right. Yeah. I mean. Uh, EPL and us, we, we supply farms as far down as Chehalis and yep. Enumclaw. So those folks are saying, well, we had no flood. What's the problem? Yeah. And, you know, we're trying to explain the supply chain and, and uh, the man hours yeah. issues. Yeah, I know it's been talked about 100,000 cows potentially affected by all this and people saying, well, we don't have 100,000 cows in the county. Well, no, we don't. But uh, it's not just the cows here in the county or even just in Skagit that we're talking about. It's all the way down south there. So, yep. again, thank you for what you guys do. Thanks for jumping into action to help support. And, and thanks for sharing the story with us here on the program this morning. 
You bet. Thanks, Dylan. You know, when something happens in the county, and my folks taught me a long time ago, first thing you do is you turn on 790 AM and listen. <laughs> so thank you for all you guys have done, too. I love it. I appreciate it. Thanks, Roger. You bet. Thanks, Dylan.